It is a beautiful morning this morning, wasn't it? Coming over the mountain, it was almost like I almost hoped I'd never been to this part of Pennsylvania, uh, this area either, but I almost hoped you all worshiped outdoors this morning. It was that nice and that beautiful, and it's great to be with you. Greetings from Say College Free, and uh, my, my boys are actually worshiping there. My wife, uh, Angie, is here. We've been married 19 years, and uh, they're worshiping at our, at our home church this morning, and there's a fellowship lunch after, so we may duck out pretty soon after to get back and, and uh, have lunch uh, with our church family. But it's great to be with you here. Uh, I've lived in many different places. I've been a pastor or in ministry many different places, from Florida to Minnesota to Pennsylvania many years ago, and then Maryland for many years. And, uh, and then I was born and raised in Virginia, Northern Virginia. I went to school at Virginia Tech. So I'm a Virginia boy through and through. Uh, it's very much like, our, the area I'm from is very similar to this, though. It looks similar, and um, so it's great to be with you. So as I thought about what I could speak about, preach about this morning, uh, I like to think about contemporary topics, stuff that may be uh, very interesting, uh, things that I think pertain to the news of today. So I thought in two days, several of us will go to a school or a library or some location and do what? vote, right? And, and, and the candidates we have this year, without getting into politics, uh, sometimes they can struggle in the theme and the topic that we're going to talk about this morning, loving others who uh, may be their enemies, may be different, who they see differently on. And so I thought that was a very pertinent topic to talk about the teaching that Jesus gave us about loving our enemies and as the election season continues to go on and on. Well, hopefully all of you believe, as I do this morning, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. I hope you all believe that. And I hope by the end of our time today that you will see that that is the most important decision that you can make. And because we all believe that he is God. But for some in our world, they consider Jesus, though, to be just a great teacher. And that's all. And they, they stop it there. They say, you know, he's a great teacher, somebody that we should listen to and maybe adhere to his teachings. But they don't go any further than that. Now, if you're familiar with many teachings from Jesus, you would see that most of his teachings obviously are very positive. There are things that are important for us to live, obviously, the way and how we're to how we're to live. And we just spent a good portion of time in prayer. And so Jesus taught us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, if you read that, he taught us also not to judge others. And we do that so that we won't be judged. And that's from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus taught us not to lay up treasures on earth. Now, because all these teachings and there's many others are positive, we too can have a positive outlook on life. But I find one, one of the most important teachings from Jesus is also one of the hardest ones to follow. And that's the reason I termed this message, you want me to do what? And I want to start with an opening video that kind of will get us into this just for a moment. So I'll see if we can get this to play. It's off of YouTube, but it's a great video and um, it uses stick figures, which is kind of neat. But before I dive into scripture this morning, I invite you and you back your bolts and you'll see some notes if you'd like to take notes. You'll also see different pictures on the PowerPoint do uh, we have different learning styles, and so I'm more of a visual learner, so you may see some pictures. We'll try and share those with you this morning as I go through my message and another video even. But before I would dive into scripture of what Jesus talks about in terms of loving your enemies, 
I'd like to take a step back to see what other teachers, great teachers, people that you may have heard of, actually, that the world honors, to see what they teach about this concept of loving our enemies, loving your enemies. Confucius spoke about any practice that should govern all of someone's life. He said these words. He said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Phileo, who was a famous Jewish philosopher, said, what you hate to suffer, do not do to anyone else. Hillel, who was a popular rabbi many, many years ago, said about the whole law, these words. He said, quote, what is hateful to thee, do not do to another. So as you see from these philosophers and Jesus too, that loving our enemy does not consist of not doing things. It is actually about doing them. And today, as you'll see on the back of your bulletin, I want to ask just a series of questions about this teaching from Jesus, loving our enemies. And I think these questions, I think, will help us to better understand and live this out, especially at this time period in history that we live in, such a contentious time period. The first question is, who are our enemies? Who are your enemies? Well, the easy answer could be anyone. Luke chapter 6, and I invite you to turn there if you have a Bible somewhere near you. Chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. For Jesus and his listeners, loving your enemies, this is not a new teaching for them. And Jesus in this passage is going to reinforce two similar Old Testament scriptures. The first is from Exodus chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. And it says this, quote, If you come across your enemy's ox, so if you see your enemy's ox and comes before you, or even a donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. Again, Jesus is reinforcing Old Testament scriptures. He also says uh, in Proverbs 24, verses 28 and 29, commands us these words, Do not testify against your neighbor without cause, or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay back that man for what he did. Somebody needs to say those to some of our political candidates. Jesus lived at a time when the Pharisees ruled the religious world. The Pharisees showed how they opposed Jesus by the way that they spoke to him, how they treated him. They accused him over and over and over, and they accused him of not following the law. But ultimately, Jesus' attitude toward the Pharisees was strongly reflected from the cross, wasn't it? He said about them, And he says about us in Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus challenges to us in these verses today from Luke. It is the foundational theme of love. How to love our enemies. How can we treat those who are hard to love? Love, or agape love in Greek, 
needs to be understood. It needs to be lived out. And we do so in having concern for another person, regardless of if they're attractive, regardless of even if they're going to love us back. Now, some people will get hung up, and perhaps you've thought about this already. They get hung up on this word, enemy, from this teaching. Perhaps the less intense word for enemy for our world is anyone who opposes us. Do you ever have anyone that's opposed you? When we oppose someone, what happens? We try and cut them down, either with them or even behind their back. But the question is really, why do we hurt others? You saw it in that video as, as this person was building a bridge to someone who was an enemy. He even got hit on the head. Why would someone do something like that? Well, I have seen him, especially among the younger folk, the youth. I see it in my son's world. We often do this so that we can raise ourselves up, to make ourselves look better. To make ourselves look more attractive, maybe in the minds of others. Back in middle school, I still remember all the kids who would make fun of this one girl. They made fun of her constantly. Because she would wear, actually, her headgear braces. Now braces, you know, obviously everyone knows what braces are. But if you wear headgear, that's the thing that goes around your, around your face and kind of hooks to it hooks to the braces and helps to push back those teeth or get them in the right position even faster. She would wear her headgear to school. Now, many students at my age, when I was that age, got headgear, but they would wear it when they weren't going to school. But she wore hers to school because she would wear it all the time, 24-7. She did this. It would shorten, obviously, the time that she had to wear braces. She followed her orthodontist wishes who asked her to do this. And when she did, she looked different. She looked funny to the other kids. Some of the kids at my school, they even had braces themselves, but they made fun of her because she wore the headgear. But you know what? When she got rid of all of her braces and headgear much earlier than everyone else, the next year in high school, guess who was one of the most beautiful people in our school? both inside and out. The list of our enemies, the list of those who would oppose us, could include those, obviously, who would strike us, those who we have a personal grudge with, maybe even from years back, those who mistreat, those who say hurtful things about us, those who have a different faith than us. What about criminals we see in the newspaper? or we hear on the news. Now, if you've been a victim of a crime, how do you work through loving your enemy? It's not easy. What about those who are gay? How do we as a church treat them? Now, finally, a hard one for many, especially this week, as I've shared earlier, is what about those who oppose us with different political ideologies or ideas than we do? How do you talk with and love someone that you may never see? You may never see eye to eye with them politically. And I think this leads now to a second big question of not just who is our enemy, but now the second question is, but doesn't everyone hate their enemy? Isn't that really part of our culture 
if everyone else in our world talks or acts or backbites in a certain way, then really, what's the big deal? But let me ask, what do you believe is a standard? What do you believe is a norm in our society today? Something that most, if not all, accept. Something that people accept as being true. Would the golden rule, now that, those are some words that I didn't grow up with necessarily, but many of you may have. Would the golden rule be a standard that many people try to live by? Now what I see is that more people live by the unwritten norm or code of hating their enemy, regardless of whether they may even know them. Biblical principles, I believe, are written about in Scripture quite clearly. And this teaching from Jesus is a very strong standard or principle that we are to love our enemies, regardless of what they may have said or regardless of what they may have done to us. In a way, we should try to go out of our way to be kind, to even forgive them, which is one of the hardest things to do. I want to share an example now that is very dear to my heart. YWAM, it's called Youth with a Mission. YWAM is a ministry that I love and I appreciate very much so. When I was an associate pastor giving leadership to youth several years ago and and also to small groups in northern Minnesota, I had the awesome privilege of seeing God raise up eight of our students to go into ministry with YWAM. They went to the YWAM Missionary Training School And they went to projects as well all around the world after graduating from high school. Five of them still serve with YWAM today in Montana and Kansas, Minnesota, Thailand, and Africa. But I want you to watch this news report, if we can get it to play, of something tragic that happened at one of those same YWAM missionary training schools in Colorado just eight years ago. So this example that we just watched... I don't know if you would, I don't know if I would actually be able to forgive in the way that these YWAM staff did. And it leads to a third question then. Doesn't this type of forgiving of this loving our enemies in this way defy natural thinking? And I believe it's yes. This type of love that Jesus spoke of and the type of forgiveness that we see from this example on the video, the YWAM staff gave to the shooter does defy how the world thinks. It does defy how most of us probably would respond when we are hurt. The reason that is true is that to love our enemies, forgive those who oppose us, is built on a precept straight from Scripture. God loves us unconditionally. He showed us love by sending his son Jesus to live and eventually die for each and every one of you. For a bunch of sinners, really. That precept that we believe, his unconditional love, his unconditional grace to us, leads us to a life and also leads us to love. And who is the hardest person for us to love? Our enemies. Those that oppose us. When we do this, when we follow this principle that is built on the precept of God's love for us, then it leads us to a change in who we are. 
And it leads us to change both inside and out, how we act. Matthew seven twelve says this. It says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and, these, this, and the prophets. This teaching from Jesus is one of the most discussed. It's one of the most debated of his teachings. But what I love about this teaching is its positivity. It's a positive teaching. And Jesus is challenging us with basically something that I mentioned earlier, the golden rule. Verse 31, back to our passage, it says, As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It's really summed up in that, isn't that? The golden rule. Verse 27 says, and I'll give you a few points of the golden rule. Verse 27 says, number one, to do good, do good to those who hate you. The second principle of the golden rule in verse 28 says, bless those who curse you. Third, the golden rule leads us to turn the other cheek. Verse 29, it says, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Verse 30 gives us a final point of the golden rule, a final point of application. It says, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So in other words, give to those in need. It does defy natural thinking, doesn't it? But does this mean, a fourth question I thought of on this is, does this mean we shouldn't respond then to injustice? I don't believe Jesus is advocating the total suspension of normal civil and judicial procedures, such as court cases, jail time, obviously. Speaking up for those who are oppressed, such as our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East being murdered for their faith by ISIS. You know, ancient Greek philosophers said that when we do not respond to injustice, we may inevitably suffer evil ourselves. So the first principle from Luke 6.28 that I read earlier, it has no physical response described. At times, we are to respond as Christ's followers to bless and to pray, just as Jesus did with the Pharisees, yes. But also, at times, I do believe that we can love our enemies with positive responses. And I think Jesus is more concerned with how we respond. Now, some will see the difference as the difference between negatively reacting to an enemy and responding in love to an enemy with a kind word. A loving act, even a moment of teaching about right and wrong. We need to forgive, even when the other person may not deserve it. There is great power in these humble responses that I just shared, that 99% of the world would struggle to give, and many of us would struggle as well. Author David Faust wrote in his column, Look Out, these words. He says, in a dog-eat-dog world filled with pain and justice why would anyone make the unnatural choice to forgive we forgive in love why because jesus first loved us because jesus has forgiven us 
Now remember that Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, that we are to deal with the log in our own eye. Remember this teaching? Deal with the log in your own eye before you deal with the speck in someone else's eye. Loving your enemies doesn't mean saying or doing nothing when there is sin. Jesus did this in Luke chapter 19, we know, when he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. You all remember that story too. And that is a good example and model for us. Have you ever been the victim of a crime? I have. My wallet was stolen right out of my locker while I exercised a couple years ago. And in the hours following that time when my wallet was stolen at the YMCA five years ago, I was frustrated, I was angry with the person who had gone into my locker and had willingly stolen it, even though I didn't even know them. However, a few hours later, God gave me a somewhat different perspective. He reminded me that my wallet was ultimately not mine. All the things that were in my wallet were ultimately not mine. They were his. The money, the credit cards, really the ability to drive with a license were all things that God had given me. They weren't mine. Now, I remembered a few other things. I remembered I also had a memory verse and a witnessing tract, my business card with our church's name and address on it in the, in the wallet. So I began to think that I should pray for this man who took my wallet, whoever they were. Never found the wallet, never got the money or the credit card or the license back, but life goes on. And I think it's a kingdom perspective that only God can provide to pray for and love someone who does that. And kingdom perspectives come from kingdom people who are very different than worldly people. As followers of Christ, we need to have, I think, a kingdom eternal perspective that is opposite from this temporal or worldly perspective that inundates us, that surrounds us 24 hours a day. Worldly people will usually only love those who love them and treat them well, back at them. And this leads, I think, now to another question. And the question really, this last one on your notes is, but what if? You ever have those what if questions in life? I think you have some what ifs probably on loving our enemies. But what if? Well, Jesus kind of refers to these somewhat. He says in verse 32, he says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Luke is bringing up a series of comparisons for we as believers to ask ourselves to consider. Verse 33 continues, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Have you ever lent money to someone else? I'm sure you have. It's hard not to think, when am I going to get this back? Jesus shares the but what-if questions here that I'm sure have gone through your mind from time to time. What if they actually hit me? What if they take something from me? What if they take advantage of me? What if they don't return the favor, return the money? And Jesus is sharing these but what-ifs 
to check our hearts. Why? Why do we need to check our hearts first and foremost? Because even worldly people act well toward outsiders. When kindness is given back towards them. The background of this passage is obviously in the financial and lending terms. In Jesus' day, the Jews looked out for those in their own Jewish community first. For the Romans, they considered love and kindness to be reciprocal or a self-serving value. In other words, if you give the Romans love, they would usually give it to you in return. But the love here that Jesus teaches on is not an investment for the future that you will receive back to. This type of love does not expect anything in return. And it doesn't start with with the words, but what if? So the last question today has to be the why. Why is this significant? Why is this important? Why are you speaking about it to us today? Why is loving our enemies important? Well, I think it's supremely important in the world we live in, in 2016. Verse 35 says, But love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Now some see that last part and say, well, there's the why. Our reward will be great. So what is the great reward that Jesus speaks of? First, as I've said earlier, loving your enemies, we do so when we model Jesus' attitude. Loving our enemies is not just a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the will. Will you do it? Only by the grace of God, really, though, can we do it, right? Someone once said, you cannot comprehend the deepest love God has for you until you realize that he has the same love for the person or the people you most despise. This is what led me a few years ago to go to Turkey with Muslims. And it was, I had people in my home church saying, don't go, it's dangerous. It was, it is. And it's even more dangerous place today than it was four years ago. But God has the same love to see those folks come to know him. Second, the great reward that Jesus taught on, I think, is that when we love our enemy, as we see in verse 35, is we give a positive testimony to Christ because Willingly, I don't wake up saying, hey, I want to love my enemies today. I don't wake up thinking that. So when we have a different view, when we have a different perspective, when we live a different way, we give a positive testimony to Christ. The Pharisees, back to the context here, the Pharisees tithe spices, but they struggled to give justice and mercy and faithfulness. They struggled there. Matthew 23, verse 23 says about the Pharisees, quote, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The highest value that Jesus speaks of is justice and mercy and faithfulness. But in our own efforts, like the Pharisees, I think at times we will and we do fall short to love and give mercy. We always tend toward justice, especially those who oppose us. Verse 36 in our passage day continues. It says, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. 
Now, being merciful is hard, as we've already said, because of our sin, because of the way we're wired naturally towards sinning. We think of ourselves first, therefore we struggle to give mercy. But when we are, but when we are able to give mercy, for whatever reason, when we are able to give to others in need, when we are able to forgive, when we are able to love our enemies unconditionally, when we are able to do these things, who does it give testimony to? It gives testimony to Christ, that he has made a difference in our lives. Only he can enable us to do such a thing and those things. Loving your enemies is life-changing. What do you think it will communicate to the person who is your enemy? What do you think it will communicate to those who are third-party observers? A few years ago, my sons aren't here this morning, but my younger son plays on two baseball teams already in State College, and, uh, and he's on a, one of them being a travel team. Well, a few years ago, he was you know, growing up and learning to play baseball, and we were very actively involved. I was the manager. I helped, uh, was, uh, helped the board kind of run this little league in the town we lived in in Maryland. And if you don't know about, if you know anything about baseball, you know that opening day is a big deal in baseball, right? Well, the Little League opening day is a big deal in baseball. Well, we had an unseasonably a large amount of rain one year. It was back probably in 2012, I'm going to guess. And so it had rained like every weekend for several weekends. We were approaching mid-April, which is a little later for, for opening day in Maryland, maybe a week or two late. And, and so, again, the forecast for, was for rain for our opening day, which had been rescheduled two times previous. And so the Little League said, we're going to play on Sunday. We're going to have our opening day, and we're going to have, on, uh, we're gonna have it on Sunday. And it wasn't Sunday afternoon. They were going to have it in Sunday morning. Well, as somebody who was a manager and helping run the league with other leaders— you know, as a pastor, too, I had a decision to make. Was I going to speak up for something that I felt was not a good decision? I did so. I did so. And there were several who didn't speak up that said, way to go, which was incredible to hear. But there were others who didn't like the fact that I spoke up. You ever have that happen to you? And over time, over a few days, a few weeks, with a few of the other leaders, I was slandered somewhat. Not terribly, but it definitely was felt. Sometimes that's going to happen. That's going to happen with people who oppose you. But the third-party observers saw that why I did this and why I spoke up and said, I don't think we should be playing on Sunday morning. The ultimate point about, I think, this whole passage from Luke chapter 6 is, really simple. Do something out of the ordinary. Do something that most in this world would not do. Do something that will make your family and friends at school, your co-workers, your neighbors, surprised. Love unconditionally. Love your enemies. Love is always the difficult response, though, in these situations. Love can be the most difficult thing that you choose to do. It can be the hardest action. It can be the hardest verb that you give to others. It's always easiest to love those who are going to give you love back. 
It's always easiest to forgive those who have already forgiven you. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that love is the only thing that could turn an enemy into a friend. But it is always much more difficult to love the unlovely, to love the outcast, and to love those who are the most irritating. But when you come to think about it, we all fit that bill too, don't we? In God's eyes, we can fit that bill because of our sin. We fit the bill of the unlovely. We fit the bill of the outcast. And we fit the bill of the irritating because of our sinfulness.